Well, I'm actually enjoying these articles from uh, Voyage magazine. I think they're great. Um, Voyage Comics, that is. I think they're really fantastic. We have here a, um, you know, this one here, last one, I think, with the um, the one of Batman and Ash Wednesday. Uh, here's another one, but this was by Matt uh, Chikion. I think, oh gosh, I really hate it when I can't pronounce someone's last name. Chikioni, Chikion, I think, I believe it's Italian, but it's really great. Matt Chikion, and here, uh, again, it's from, um, again, about Voyage Comics, and here's the lesson from Batman to help us fight temptation during Lent. All right, so um, these really are great articles, and I like how they... They managed to um, use the Catholic faith, such as Lent, Ash Wednesday, and the virtues. It's really great. And I think that's a, a good, healthy way of, of looking at things uh, through a Catholic lens. So let's begin. St. Catherine of Siena wrote, Nothing great is ever achieved without much enduring. St. Catherine of Siena wrote, Nothing great is ever achieved without much enduring. Greatness is measured by how we handle adversity. We will fall. That is a guarantee in life. What we will do when the fall is so hard. It, what, you know, what will we do when the fall is so hard? It breaks, it breaks us. Lent is a time to reflect on, on our brokenness and a need for salvation. It's a time of self-denial. Fasting, increased prayer, oftentimes we experience a dark night in our spiritual life. When God removes consolation, during the darkest of times, I look to both saints and characters and stories as models who enduring, endured suffering. Every Lent, I always have this thing in my mind of really, I want to fast. I want to do good. I want to pray well. I want to increase graces in my life. And honestly, every Lent has been a disaster. <laughs> I don't know, it's because maybe I set the bar too high or unrealistically, I probably do. I'm sure I do. And a lot of times it doesn't always go very well because unfortunately my, my work schedule hasn't always been the best. I mean, I think all of us, everyone has to have this problem. And I think the problem is, is that I think I understand now, maybe it's a self-denial. I don't think I, cons I cons ever consecrated or offered off my daily work life, my job through Jesus, through Mary. I think what happens is, is that I always, I, I have always looked at my job as something other, my work life as something outside. And I think I also see it in my, the fact in the things that I do love to do, like I love to paint, I love to draw. I don't think I've ever consecrated it because now I'm looking every, at everything through the 33 day consecration. And I think the problem is, you, we cannot fully achieve spiritually if we don't add all aspects of our life to to our to our relationship with Jesus, which is why I think that a lot of us will fail at fasting. The thirty three day consecration has made me see that Christ wants to be in all aspects of my life, in every corner of our life, our spiritual life, 
we can't celebrate our work life from our spiritual life, our work life from our prayer life, our family life from our prayer life, my friendships from my prayer life. For example, I don't think I've ever really prayed for people I don't like. I've always actually looked at my day-to-day work life, my day-to-day relationships, my my day-to-day obstacles, my as something other. Maybe I was afraid to do that. And I think this is something is to consider. If we really want to achieve real spiritual perfection, and real spiritual perfection is bringing Jesus to every corner of our life. When we are told into that daily prayer to consecrate all our trials and our troubles and our experiences throughout the day to the sacred heart of Jesus, it's true. You have to do it. We have to do it. So this is a good way, I think, to look at it. It came to me, and I think this consecration 33 days of consecration has made me realize because I actually, I have to say with all honesty, I've stuck with it. I've, I've, I've stuck with it. Is it perfect? No. By all means, it's not perfect. But I do believe it's better than before. That I will agree. So let's get back to this. During the darkest times, I look to both saints and characters in stories to, as models who endured suffering. No other superhero deals with more chaos and darkness in, in his city than Batman. A lot of Batman lovers here in the Voyage Comics articles. The Dark Knight of Gotham fights off menaces whose evil is beyond comprehension. Bruce Wayne's enduring gauntlet of, of tests and temptations by Bane in the Nightfall series reminds me of the spiritual battles we will face this Lent. This is, um, uh, I believe, this is from possibly last year, February, um, during the shutdown. No matter how powerful, okay, heroes have humil- have the humility to ask for help. No matter how powerful, talented, or resourceful a person is, they still must rely on other others for success. Superheroes are not excluded from this fact. Batman, over the years, has developed many allies, including, but not limited to, Alfred Pennyworth, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, Jason Todd, James Gordon, Barbara Gordon, Azrael, Batgirl. Huntress, um, Huntress, and even the Dark Knight, even the Dark Knight needs help. He cannot take care of Gotham all by himself. In Nightfall story arc, Batman fails to use his best resources. His friends, in Batman, Batman fails to use his best resources. His friends. During Prelude to Nightfall, Batman battles with a miscellaneous of villains ranging from Black Mask, Metalhead, Killer Croc, and the Riddler. Coincidentally, these events take place soon after the death of Superman. Interesting. Losing a appear on the level of Kal-El certainly had some effects on Bruce Wayne, even though it was not explicitly stated in the Nightfall series. Bane, like Satan, sends tests that grow incremental in strength. After the the venom-powered Riddler fails to defeat Batman, Bane tells his team we need to test him. We wear him down again with more formidable forces. We need f- frenzy. We need naked madness itself. This is Batman issue 490. In the following issue, he breaks open Arkham Asylum. Arkham Asylum for the criminally insane. 
there is actually, I don't think there's any in real, in the real world, there's any legal definition of criminally insane. I don't think they really have that, but it would be nice if they did, right? The inmates of Arkham flood Gotham. Batman feels increased pressure to apprehend them as soon as possible. Uh, Zazaz, Firefly, Scarecrow, Joke, all, uh, I guess it's supposed to be Joker, all sent by Bane to test and tempt Batman of his ability of his abilities. I consider I consider a sort of temptation because Bruce gave in to pride and failed to ask for enough help. Alfred and Robin repeatedly urge Bruce to be careful about stretching himself too far. Batman fights Batman's fight with Bane really wasn't a fight. It was a beatdown, completely one-sided in Bane's favor. A legion of crazed killers loosed on Gotham. Too many and too much to fight. The toll, great. Pride, no longer an asset. Only prelude to a fall. Leaving, leaving me drained and depleted, thought Batman, in the short time between Bane's punches. Humility acts as a shield against the bane of sin. Pride is the root cause of all sin. It's a false shield. But wrapping yourself in pride only gives temptation defense instead of being humble enough to let others carry the weight of Gotham's problems. Batman pridefully took it upon himself. Interesting. I really love these the way these guys write and how they they knit the faith and 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 these virtues and these um, sins these these uh, at, these uh, connected to the pride of sin of itself resting so allowed in the fight against sin. Saint Anthony the Great wrote, "Expect temptation to your last breath." That is not necessarily the most reassuring statement. While the fight with Satan is never truly over until we die, temptation does not mean we should never take time to rest. Bruce Wayne frequently disregarded the need for rest in the issues leading up to his defeat against Bane. Batman 4, issue 493, reflects, I can't rest, not after the Arkham breakout, 30-odd breakout, 30-odd murderers, all and all the work of a minor madman. Because of Bane's efforts to take out the Dark Knight, Batman takes full responsibility for the madness. Robin urges Wayne to take care of himself and regroup. Bruce reminds the boy Wonder that he is concerned about the madness across Gotham. Tim Drake, Robin, hey, I know the situation, but you need a... You need a rest. Maybe if Azrael and I, Bruce Wayne, Jean Paul Azrael is formidable, formidable, maybe even up to the task, but Bane is after me. And as long as I can stand, this is my business. Failure to stop, even for a short time to recover, led caused Batman's defeat. During the challenging times in life, it's okay to rest. It's not a sign of weakness. Catholics are called to rest more than usual this Lenten season. Rest in the form of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Slowing down our pace would lead to greater growth and strength in the long run. This is really good. This is I love this, this the way he does this. Redemption takes place when you are broken. Bane broke Bruce Wayne both figuratively and literally. He got inside Batman's mind, wore him, wore him down mentally with the barrage of escape Arkham inmates. Bane also broke the Dark Knight's back. This is the issue. Okay, that famous, that famous um, Bane breaking his back, and they actually did that in the uh, the Dark Knight Rising. Um, Bane broke the Dark Knight's back, broken and unable to serve as the hero Gotham needed. Wayne passed on the mantle of the bat to Jane Pone Valet, a.k.a. Azrael. 
Bruce then went on a quest to find his missing physical therapist who was instrumental in his rehabilitation. Batman Night Quest, The Search. Valley became an effective replacement Batman as a crime low, uh, lowers across Gotham, but his methods are merciless. At the end of Night Quest, the search, the search, the new Batman goes too far and murderers, murders the, the serial killer Abateur. I'm not familiar. His actions go against Bruce Wayne's code to never kill. Confronting Valet in the in the Batcave, Wayne says, "Look at you." You look like what you became, a monster. I'm taking back the mantle of the bat before you spill any more blood on it. Night Quest Conclusion uh, Robin Like Bruce, Wayne in Nightfall like, Bru like Bruce, Wayne in Nightfall, we are broken. We come into the season of Lent mindful of our brokenness and sinful ways. Jesus came to save the sinner not the perfect. Earthly perfection is a precursor to pride. Accepting our brokenness is a necessary step in humility. Humility puts us on the path of redemption. We see the need for help. Let the Lord into your life this Lenten season. Invite others to share in your struggle. Ask for help to defend off your temptations. You may be broken, but you are never too far gone for God's mercy. Beautiful. Well done. I really, really like these articles. I'm going to probably do a lot more of them. Uh, last year, I did a lot of, um, lot of missile readings, and I'm still going to do it. I just did the, the Sunday one uh, for this fourth week of, um, of Ordinary Time. I think these are great, and I think it's a I think this is what we need. We need to find a way to look at, especially like comic books and other things through a Catholic lens. Try to find the Catholic, the Catholicity uh, of of even in some of our entertainment to look at it in the right way. I mean, I don't, I don't read comics anymore. Um, not that I don't like to read them. It's just that uh, I've often felt turned turned off because of what's happening with the wokeness in comics and also it's an expensive habit i know several people that are giving up this habit because it's an insane collection i mean think about it i mean the people who collect them some people i've heard have no more space so it's an expensive habit it's an expensive unnecessary habit it's a um um, it's a habit that one has to control. It's fun collecting them. The problem is, what do you do with the old collection? And that's, it's an amazing thing. All right, we, we've done with this. And I think I like the way, uh, because I think that's the reason why I think I've often failed in Lent, because I've looked at it as a challenge. I looked at it as sort of like a contest I have to win. Okay, Matt uh, Chikion. Matthew uh, Chikion is a freelance writer. I'm, I'm sorry, man, if I mispronounce your last name. A lifelong Catholic and an avid truth seeker. He earned an MA in theology from the Franciscan University of Steubenville. Uh, Scott Hahn taught there. In 2014 and enjoys binge reading Tolkien, Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, Fulton Sheen, and comic books. Visit his blog, okay, at uh, the this uh, these. Well, I can't pronounce. It's Catholic blog. The the simple Catholic, one word. Simple Catholic blog to learn more about his pilgrim pursued pursuit of joy of joyous life following the truth of the gospel. All right, so there's another one by him here. Uh, okay, spiritual regeneration. Let me see if this is by him. Okay, hold on. Uh, yes, it is. And here we have Wolverine and Nightcrawler. How Wolverine and wandering 
can lead us to spiritual regeneration. This Lent by Matt, by Matt Chikion. All right. In the 1990s cartoon, The X-Men, and I think I know which one they're gonna, they're gonna talk, he's going to talk about here, the animated series became my first exposure to superheroes. That show ignited the start to a long, lifelong love of comics and superpowered figures. As a child, I, I, I only loved the characters for their cool costumes and unique abilities. However, as time passed, I started to enjoy the superheroes because of their backstories and personal struggles. Despite the change in my focus on deciding which comics I read or watch now, there has not what has not changed is my interest in Wolverine. Arguably, no other comic book hero or villain depicts the rawness of humanity, the struggle between our beastly inclinations towards humanity as Wolverine. While most famous outward powers consist of his adamantium claws, Wolverine's natural-born mutant abilities also include an accelerated healing factor, enhanced senses and strength, along with his superpowers. The storyline and events surrounding the Claude Avenger mark a quintessential search for meaning in life. Born in Canada as James Howlett, Wolverine flees his home after killing the murderer of his birth father in a fit of rage. Eventually, he gets adopted. I'm sorry, he gets adapted, and dons the moniker Logan because of his. Regenerative powers, Wolverine is largely immune from the effects of disease and aging process as an, as an adult. Logan served and fought in a multitude of wars, developed an excellent set of combat skills. A, a clandestine government genetic research program known as Weapon X captured Wolverine, infused his entire body with adamantium to create an indestructible skeleton and creating false memories to control Logan as a super soldier. The circumstances that led up to the development of Wolverine as a popular cult, as popular culture now re, re, recognizes him as, as involved as a vast series of hardships and wanderings. Wolverine represents the seemingly lonely journey mankind experiences in this life, the trials and struggles to choose the good in the face of temptation. During this Lent, Marvel's Wolverine provides us an example to follow and regenerate our faith. Wandering leads to wandering leads to wonder, wondering, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. By the solemn for, uh, forty days of Lent, the Church unites herself each year to the mystery of Jesus in the desert. Catechism of the Catholic Church. 540 article 540 the notion of wandering tends to invoke a negative connotation a person who wanders normally lacks a sense of purpose wolverine spent large periods of his time where he aimlessly ambled in the 1988 run of wolverine 47 issue 47 to 49 logan requires his lost reacquires his lost memories and learned of his violent involvement with the weapon x program his reaction naturally leans towards anger and rage but wolverine also strove toward maintaining his humanity professor xavier and the rest of the x-men constantly seek to help out logan his his um because pitfall his cause of pitfalls is that he tries to figure things out on his own however often we feel as we must have it all figured out sojourning with others assist in the journey of life it is not a coincidence that the source and summit of the christian life involves communal worship in the sacrament of the eucharist Within the Mass, the Church reminds us the whole Church is united with the offering and intercession of Christ. Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 1369. Fellowship in the face of adversity is a theme in X-Men's comics. Eventually, Wolverine, albeit reluctantly, accepts help from the Nightcrawler in the Season 3, Episode 18 from X-Men, the animated series. Tied, um, 
titled Nicro. Here uh, is a link to a montage from the episode. By the end of the episode, Wolverine is sitting in prayer and wonder. Only his deep convictions and previous wanderings could have sunk him so low to be finally open to the need of God. I remember that uh, Nightcrawler gave him a Bible <laughs> and told him you have to look with the eyes of faith. All things work for the good. In that same episode, Nightcrawler tells Wolverine, we are all alike, you and I, angry at the world and ourselves. My pain told me to seek God. Your pain drove you away. Suffering is quite problematic. It is a natural desire to avoid suffering and to be angry uh, from suffering, especially meaningless suffering. Logan suffered more than the average superhero, and in turn, he had more rage than the average character. St. Ignatius of Loyola once wrote, If God sends you many sufferings, it's a sign that he has great plans for you and certainly wants to make you a saint. St. Paul paraphrases the same truth in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All that pain, struggle, and wanderings Wolverine encountered ultimately served a great purpose in shaping him into a being, uh, in, in, into being, uh, a great leader and a hero. New life after time of spiritual dryness. This is really good. I have to say, these guys are very good. Okay. New life after a time of spiritual dryness. Wandering in the barren and desolate desert does not seem enjoyable. Going without water for mere hours gets to become uncomfortable, let alone dealing with dehydration and the heat of the sun bearing on you. Two, similar to the physical desert, Christians experience dryness. In their spiritual life, the great Spanish mystic John the Cross coined the term dark night of the soul, referring to periods of intense dryness and lack of consolation in prayer. The saint declared, never give up prayer, and should you find dryness and difficulty, persevere in it for this very reason. God often desires to see what love your soul has, and love is not tried by ease and satisfaction. And a, and a lot, and a, um, hold on here. Okay. Analogously, I guess comparable, Wolverine experienced what one would argue a, um, a soft, dark night as well. During those dark and clandestine years under control of the Weapon X program, the Claude hero endured tons of suffering and lacked the consolation of knowing the reason for, for him undergoing such treatments. Because of the reality that prayer involves difficulties, the Catechism recognizes such obje uh, objections to prayer and even refers to the prayer life as a battle. The Catholic Church discusses the remedy to beat spiritual lows in this way. To overcome these obstacles, we must battle to gain humility, trust, and perseverance. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2728, throughout most of his history, okay, uh, okay, the, the, to persevere, so we have to, uh, to overcome these obstacles, we must battle to gain humility, trust and perseverance this is from article of Cat catechism of the catholic church 2728 so now we go to uh he's comparing here the wolverine through most of his history wolverine is portrayed as being humble enough to cede control of the x-men to either professor x or cyclops a frequent rival so too are we called during the seasons of lent to humble ourselves and be led in the spiritual desert by Jesus. While Wolverine may not be as polished as characters such as Cyclops, Professor Xavier, or Captain America, the rawness of his humanity makes him 
more relatable. Superhero, especially for Lent, fending off the temptations of pure power. Wolverine reminds readers that the battle to remain human in a fallen world is real. Uniting the X-Men as a, as a, as a team, he teaches us that being part of a community does not diminish your strength, but rather enhances them and channels your ability for the greater good of greater good. May we trust in the Holy Spirit to guide us closer to God this Lent Lenten season. This is really, I mean, um, I like it. Uh, it's really not bad. I like it. I really, uh, you know, I like the way these guys, uh, look at these pop culture characters through a Catholic lens. This is, I think what we need. This is the answer to, I think why we have, uh, now to all this wokeness, we have to learn to, to look at a lot of these cultural icon figures, fictional figures through a Catholic lens. And it helps. It really helps because it teaches you to look at them, to, to understand what's happening in these characters. And it helps us to, because heroes are all really type images of Jesus. Of course, through science fiction, uh, uh, through stories like Tolkien's uh, mystical world of, of, of Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth. But it helps us because it tells us something about ourselves. We, we put these characters and we give them virtues. We give them a history. We give them suffering. We give them a, the hero's journey, uh, a quest. Uh, we give them a high bar and we give them death and resurrection. It's part of us. All right, there's one more I want to read. And I think it's by the same author, which I think is great. Uh no, but I think it's still about Lent. So it's this one goes from X-Men superheroes to Star Trek's Spock and Star Trek the Motion Picture. So let's check it out. Okay, the author for this one is by John Tuttle. Uh his last name T U T T L E. And uh let's look at him here a little bit. This one's quite a little longer, slightly a bit. John Tuttle. John Tuttle is a Catholic journalist, blogger, and photographer. He has written for Prehistoric Times, Culture Wars magazine, Those Catholic Men, Catholic Insight, Insight Over Ancient Origins, Love, Inside Over Ancient Origins, Insight Over Ancient Origins, Love Thy Nerd, We Got This Covered, Culture Vultures, and Elsewhere. He can be reached to um p tuttle gmail okay well and here's something here about the uh, oh there's a lot of stuff here i i can't do all of them but let me see if it's by him again by this guy it's really great yes it is it's uh how aragon's kingship reminds us of jesus the king of kings <sighs> It's uh, a, a lot here. It's a lot. All right. Let's check this out here about Spock and Lent. For us, Jesus is the archetype in everything, offering an example of communication within the Trinity. He showed us how to pray. He was an example of the need for baptism into a new life. He was the embodiment of charity of God's love for us. And crucially, he showed us how to suffer. The passion and death of Christ was not the first point in the life of Jesus where he faced formidable anguish. Previously, Christ had endured great suffering when he retreated into desert during this time. He fasted and prayed in order to get closer to the Father. Jesus went into a desolate place of potentially hostile elements. The blistering sun, coupled with his, uh, his abs abstinence from food and drink made for physically taxing exercise here the christian is given the archetype for lenten observance jesus spent 40 days in a desert refraining from water and nutrition 
in its biblical connotation, 40 represents a transition or else leads to climatic movement. As for the time Jesus spent in the desert, he is entering into a deep communion with the Father. And at the height of his self-sacrificial trial, he renounces Satan and the powers of the world. Thus, Lent lasts 40 days and serves as an invitation to deepen our communication and relationship with God. Christ's Lenten example has been taken up by various popular uh, popular culture representations. Science fiction, in particular, has been prone to depicting hermit-like figures seeking solitude and refraining from bodily desires in the midst of a desert landscape. To some extent, Obi-Wan, Ben Kenobi from Star Wars, A New Hope, uh, fits this image. A robed, almost monastic-looking old man who has long lived in uh, sequestered sequestered existence. This is the Star Wars equivalent to the Catholic monk, monks who have wholeheartedly devoted their lives to God, often fast more regularly than the laity. Mr. Spock from Star Trek universe has offered another representation of an almost religious form of abstinence, along with an exit from society into a land of desolation. We've discussed the moral attributes of characters in other Star Trek features here. I, this is the first time following in the line of Christ and Saint and Saints, such as John the Baptist, Anthony of Egypt, we find Spock dwelling alone in the desert lands of Vulcan, his home planet. The happen, this happens during the early plot development of Star Trek, the motion picture. He may be referring to, uh, well, I mean, he does mention ca- other characters in Star Trek. This is the first article from him. And since I just got into the Voyage comics uh, uh, articles, let's see. All right. Um, this happens during the early plot development of Star Trek, the motion picture. I remember it's not the best, but it was interesting. In his utter silence and his removal from worldliness, we find Spock on his knees with his hands folded, which is obviously a posture closely associated with Christian prayer and devotion. Here, he seems to be practicing some form of mysticism. The philosophical understanding of mysticism entails a longing on the part of the human soul to become united with the divine. Specifically, it seems Spock seeks seeks to be united with the ultimate knowledge or infused knowledge. It's really great. Okay, of course, in the Star Trek saga, Spock Spock, um, is not likely attempting to commune with the monotheistic and personal God. Rather, in accord with fictional premise of the story, he's looking for a much more loosely defined and impersonal source of ultimate knowledge. Yet this sequence from Star Trek, the motion picture serves as an intriguing analogy to our own Lenten practice. The analogy goes on, Soon, from the Vulcan elders, we discover what Spock is up to. He's attempting to achieve the state of colonaire, the final shedding of all emotion. Part of this process includes a purification of mind. This is calling for a change in the way a person thinks. This might entail an examination of conscience, specifically pondering the merit of one's own thoughts. Do our thoughts transcend and renounce the musings of lust and petty jealousy? Such thoughts stem from our passions and emotions. This is perhaps one component of the Vulcan's purification of mind. However, the elders take this to an equally unhealthy extreme Believing all emotion is unclean, that it is something to be completely purged from oneself. Spock attempts this goal. It is what it 
you know, he attempts this goal. It is what the Lenten observance have been preparing him for. In addition for silence and seclusion, he has visibly chosen to wear rough, uncomfortable clothes and dismiss the etiquettes of personal hygiene. These are signs of mortification. Finally, when Spock approaches the elders, it is noted that in this same desert, the Vulcan ancestors conquered their animal passions. The Christian understanding of this terminology alludes to a detachment from the things of this world, especially of bodily desires. In other words, the Vulcan ancestors learned to deny themselves and their bodily inclinations. This was an aspect of Christ's Lenten archetype as well. Even when tempted by the Prince of Darkness by way of eating bread, Jesus denied his bodily desires for sustenance. Though he was certainly hungry, he showed us that suffering has merit when gifted to God. It is possible that fasting bears some direct relevance to original sin, just as the perceived pleasure of eating led to the sin of Adam and Eve. So the abstinence from eating is seen as a means of penance. With God's help, denial takes the place of desire. Spock doesn't just deny his animal passions or physical pleasures. He also denies the honor of fulfilling the right of culinaire and receiving the outward sign of of uh, completion, which is seen as a great honor in the Vulcan nation. Similarly, Jesus denied the empty power and honor of the world that was offered to him. He Spock, so Spock denies the honor of fulfilling the right of culinary and, and receiving the outward sign of completion, which is seen as a great honor in the Vulcan nation. Similarly, Jesus denied the empty power and honor of the of, of the world that was offered to him so basically uh spock by completing it he could have received uh i guess you could say a position i guess i'm understanding i haven't seen the film in a long time but in other words he could have received an honor or a reward but even spock denied that which i guess is he realizes it might be appealing to his vanity. I mean, the fact that I think when when you look at it, like Adam and Eve broke the rule, broke the commandment by reaching out to the fruit because they wanted to receive knowledge instead of basically even denying those appetites because we often like, we, we come with all kinds of what you call excuses for breaking rules we always well i was hungry and i didn't see why i should be denied that right uh but what do people when in today's world we we make excuses about being healthy but the thing is it's about appearing attractive we're doing it we're, we're not, we're not really doing it. We, we make excuses about doing, of, of looking healthy and being healthy. But the truth is what we really want is we really want to look beautiful. We want to look desirable in other people's eyes. So we're doing it for a vain reason. And a lot of people want, uh, to exercise. You see this all over. It's all over Instagram. It's all over Facebook. It's all over TikTok. Uh, you know, to appear desirable, to, to appear sensual in other people's eyes. It's a vain reason. It's not so much for being healthy, but is it really being healthy when you want to be an object of desire and you want to compete with other people? I mean, that's the whole reason. That's the, that, that's the whole purpose of it. Look at the photos people take uh, of themselves, the body part photos, uh, you know, the the rear photos, the the leg photos, uh, uh, wearing a, a, a very sensual, uh, um, exposing yourself, uh, bathing suits photos. It's all about vanity. 
it's not about just being healthy. It's really not about healthy at all. It's, and it's also at the same time, is it really being healthy? It's not being spiritually healthy. It's not being morally healthy. It's not being mentally healthy. It's about the sensual. It's about sexuality. It's about desire. It's vanity. So you're going from one extreme, which is what we call, we complain and we about gluttony and overweight, which is also not healthy, right? To the extreme of desire and lust and, and power, because it's also about power. It's also about being the center of attention. It's also about being the object of desire for others. So that is also not healthy. We see this with anorexia, right? We see this with young women and who, with eating disorders, where it could lead to their physical destruction. So the question is, this is where you have to do a self-examination. A self-examination of conscience. Because even if you become that perfect body what is it doing to you as a person morally what kind of person are you becoming are you spiritually free no are you spiritually happy no are you really happy no what kind of are you becoming a good person are you becoming a jealous person are you becoming a person who hates the other person because you're, you're in constant competition? You see, because eventually in the end, time catches up with all of us. Even the best athlete is going to wind up becoming yesterday's athlete or yesterday's body desire because there's always going to be someone's going to come along and quickly take that position. I mean, even dancers, ballet dancers have a short career and they know it. So it's very interesting. All right, so um, let me see here where we are. Okay, here it is. In many ways, Spock was undergoing a let-like observ uh, uh, observance after the perfect model of Christ. Lent calls us to spiritual growth. Our Lent, our, our Lent might do well to take a few notes from the structure of Spock's religiously. We should practice praying in silence. We should spend more time directing our minds to God. And as the season of Lent calls for, we should offer up little sacrifices. The Catholic evangelist and writer Matthew Kelly says, the Christian life cannot be properly lived out without some self-denial. In the book, Rediscover Jesus, he offers great advice for the daily Christian life, especially during the penitential time of Lent. Say no to yourself at least once a day. Perhaps you're craving a Coke. Say no and have, no, and, and have water. Perhaps you don't want to exercise. Say no to your laziness and work out. Perhaps you don't feel like getting on with your work. Get on with it. There can be suffering and worthwhile suffering in simplicity. So how can you deny yourself and accept God's will this Lent? Kelly calls this the vocation to the best version of yourself. It's like the equivalent to, to Spock's gesture of well-being. Live long and prosper. God is calling us to a prosperous, prosperous life. God is calling us to a prosperous life. Not Spock. God is calling us to a prosperous life of love and action and rooted in deep relationship with him. God invites, invites us to get closer to him this Lent. It's really, I have to say, these articles are really good. They're really very good. I like them. This is a very good way of approaching, I think, I said it before, I think secular entertainment in a proper way and i think this is a good healthy way i think it's um it's about time that um 
Catholics are, are approaching these fantasy things like superheroes and other stuff. I think we should give thanks to people like J.R. Tolkien. Even Michael D. O'Brien, who wrote the Father Elijah series, is, is I think it's really wonderful that people like him are approaching it. It's good, you know, I mean, he basically kind of paved the way. He never really pointed to comics. It's not his thing, I don't believe. But Taylor Marshall wrote The Sword and the Serpent, and I think it's a good way to approach these characters in a healthy Catholic Christian way to examine these characters. And uh, especially since now the fantasy realm, superheroes, especially comics, have been polluted with social justice, wokeness, transgenderism, and it's actually affecting the sales. I mean, seriously, the Superman son of Kal-El is not the original Superman. It's supposed to be his son, one of, one of the many reinventions. And I think also because DC is really what they're doing is they're trying to... Um, Joe Siegel and Jerry Schuster, if I remember their names correctly, the ones who created Superman, their descendants are fighting DC in court. They're fighting DC in court to have the right to Superman because DC many years ago, the, the one of the original founders really ripped off those two guys. You know, they bought Superman for them on a, for a very low price, just a couple of hundred dollars. And then what happened within just a few years, Superman wound up being afloat in the Thanksgiving day parade. There was a Superman radio program, uh, there was a couple of Superman comics. I mean, soon there was uh, Jimmy Olsen's Superman's Pal comic. And uh, there was a Superman cartoon series that was being shown in the theater by the Fleischer Brothers, which is still a classic to this day. You should check it out. What it was is that they just cheated them. I mean, you had Superman lunchboxes, Superman toys, and these poor guys got cheated. They just got cheated by him. And this became a multi-million dollar thing. The comic book industry to this day still has a serious, serious problem. The work for hire, and you are, whatever, how, whatever characters you create that made the company millions, and you, the comic book writer or the artist who design, does write and design the characters, has been sort of like discredited. It happened with Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Jack Kirby is a good example of it. Not every artist, comic book artist, uh, I think chose to make noise about it. Uh, many of them, uh, there are some who made peace with it. I don't think it was a willing thing because these guys had families to support. They had to weigh their options. I mean, Jack Kirby had family to support too, but Jack Kirby had the biggest, widest effect on the comic book industry. He had the widest influence. Uh, Captain America, he and uh, Joe, I think Joe Simon, if I remember, created Captain America. Uh, Jack Kirby helped create the Fantastic Four. Um uh, Jack Kirby helped, he created the Silver Surfer, Galactus. Um, he had a, the X-Men, I think he had some influence on, uh, at least drawing the characters. I don't know if he designed them. I don't think he did. But it's one of those effects. Now, it's sad. And I think this is why DC is choosing to destroy Superman. They're willing to take a hit. They're willing to destroy the character, making him bisexual or homosexual, whatever. And um, they took away the title Truth, Justice, and the American Way. They replaced it with A Better Tomorrow, which is ridiculous. And they're doing this, I don't think because they really believe this is what the character should be. They're doing this so they can outmaneuver the family members in court 
to make him somewhat less less the original Superman. This, they're doing this deliberately. The comics are not selling. The sales are terrible. Regardless of what you may hear, whatever DC is trying to say, they, they know it because all you have to do is look at the, the order list. Listen to different, different people on YouTube and they will give you the science. DC can take this fall because it's owned by Warner Brothers. Marvel, on the other hand, uh, is doing a little bit better, but not so much. They're suffering a lot from social justice warriors. It's a, it's a crazy thing. It's because these companies, they, they're so, um, I don't know why they, they choose to go this path. I think it's because really, um, the real creators were well, one time you've heard people say it was fun working for Marvel and DC especially for Marvel. There was more of a a fun environment. There were some people who were willing to go out to the fringes, like the X-Men were, were, were sort of at that fringe of social justice. But it wasn't so much uh, for that. It was more for good storytelling. It was for good storytelling. And the X-Men are sort of like... They're born out of that uh, civil rights movement to some extent, you know. You know, instead of race, it was let's say kids, pe- people being born with powers, out of nature, and with, and it, which separated them from the rest of society. Um, Professor X was sort of like a cross between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X to some extent. Uh, Magneto later on turned out to be a, a, a concentration camp survivor, right? Uh, someone who also happened to be Jewish, but also happens to have these magnetic powers that makes him even more of a, of a, of ostracized from society. So there was a lot of those meanings in it. A lot of those things were placed in it. There were great stories. There were still great stories. And, yeah, so, you know, you had that. And the X-Men sort of played on that loosely, especially when into the 70s, you began to see how, you know, hints of of liberalism and social justice in them. But still, they were good, they were good stories. And you talk to a lot of people, they'll tell you that. The problem here is it's that a lot of people have invaded the industry with less of a love and devotion to the characters and more of exploiting these comics for their own personal, um, let's say, agendas, ideologies. And you can see that. Gender ideology, um, uh, basically there's a lot of these people who are dealing with uh, personal morale, personal, um, uh, their own, a lot of these writers are dealing with their own um, self-esteem issues. Yeah, that's a lot of it has a lot to do with self-esteem issues. You'll notice that Marvel, there was someone who tried to put out these characters and they all represented modern ideological agenda. I mean, there was like an overweight character a young woman with a, a serious overweight problem because it's dealing with a lot of these uh, young people, a lot of these creators are dealing with these self-esteem problems. And so they're missing the whole point of what comic books are. They're actually telling the world, this is my problem. This is my problem. And, this, and, and I'm going to put it in the stories, but it's not selling. They don't know what comics are. They're dealing with their own personal struggles and self-esteem and, and self-loathing that it's actually showing in the comics. And they're and you know, it's it's a psychological thing. It's like they're using the comic book for their own therapy uh problem, their own therapy sessions. And it's 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 destroying the comic. Instead of 
they don't really deal with good stories. They not, they're not even comic lovers. They're not even comic book lovers. I mean, you saw the issue with Wolverine. And Wolverine was about someone who's constantly battling. And it's good stories. It's about a person, yeah, who was born different, born with a mutation, with claws, and never fitted in with society, but always bought, fought his, these other monsters, which is a struggle of fighting your own personal demons, right? And that's what they, that's what these other people today that come into the comic book industry don't understand this. It's basically Wolverine battling these, these, these demons. It's a reflection of, of us following Christ in the desert, dealing with the temptations, the temptations that we struggle with, but they're manifested as personal, as, as, as demons and also the weaknesses in us. Jesus, of course, has no weakness, but he shows us how we have to go out and face them. That's why he goes out in the desert. It's a reenactment of what the Israelites went out in the desert. It's a reenactment when Abraham was called to leave everything behind and go into a place that is strange to him. And Abraham had to do, had to deal with these, these struggles of fam, uh, you know, the, the issue with um, a cousin like Lot who really didn't share Abraham's faith. And ran back into the city. That's what Lot did with his family, which led to the destruction of his family, the moral destruction of his family. Um, Hagar, I mean, uh, Sarah, uh, throwing Hagar in front of uh, Abraham because she didn't share his faith that God will keep, that God will, will one day bless her and get her pregnant. Instead, she threw a younger woman which is what she's wrestling with. She's wrestling with age, Sarah, and she's wrestling with time. She's wrestling with uh, confidence in faith. And so she uses a young woman, uh, which is also expression of her own uh, doubt of herself, of her own doubt as a woman. You know, it's inter interesting. This is what is all there. It's all events that happen. And then suddenly... Uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, he just sacrificed Ishmael, threw him out into the desert with his mother. But he also had to trust God that God will take care of the boy. But then now God is asking him to sacrifice the boy of promise. You see, in the stories, we write them, we manifest them through mythology and fantasy. The comic book writers today don't understand this. The comic, the people working in the industry don't understand this. They're more grounded with social justice than they are grounded with, with good epic storytelling. Good epic storytelling that really is good. That, 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 that in a sense is fun. But they want to lecture people. Because they're really trying to lecture to themselves. It's, it's, you know, I always believe if you keep talking about race, then you are dealing with personal issues yourself. Okay, people who keep bringing the subject of race, bringing the subject of gender, bringing the subject up of, of, of uh, sexuality, you're, you're talking more about yourself than you are talking about the world. You're the one that's dealing with it. The comic book industry has always, always been, I think, um, they dealt with these issues. They dealt with race. I mean, Stan Lee, they try to deal with it, but without lecturing people. They dealt with it in a way, I mean, superhero characters, even black characters, it's true, was always a struggle. But then you had successful characters like Blade, right? Um you had successful characters like Black Panther. You had successful characters like Luke Cage. They might have, might have always had a consistent uh, comic book sale. But I think, you know, sadly, I think the biggest problem is, is that many of the writers today are still dealing with their own self-esteem. Their own self, 
of steam and confidence in themselves. Because when they keep going back to these racial issues, it's it's them, not the not the audience. If the sales are not selling, you can't use racism. You have to ask yourself, have you made this too personal for you? And less of a fun story. Okay? Today's Luke Cage, yeah, there was a lot of issues of race. And he was an urban character, a Harlem character. But I think the problem was you just needed good writers. You needed good writers that make the character fun for everybody. And some characters may not be able to carry their own title always. They're always going to be a supporting character. You know, I mean, you may tell a story here and there that might stand out every now and then, but it's some characters just are not consistent. You know, I mean, even the Hulk, the Hulk has held titles for a long time. And, you know, and and it is about a Jekyll and Hyde and, and, I guess you could say an anger, an anger control problem and everything, but he is, he's always been a interesting character, but he, you know, there's only so much limits. You can tell stories about, a, about, uh, you know, person turning green, you, you know, this is why they, they played with the character by making him smart sometimes by making him sort of a bad boy problem sometimes. And they made him, now they turned out he, he might be, um, uh, Bruce Banner's twin angry green brother that's inside of him, you know, uh, and it turns out Banner might've been abused as a boy. Very interesting. Then they actually made the whole Catholic, it turns out. Isn't it interesting? These are great ways, you know, when you bring religion and faith in, it's great. I think it's wonderful. I think it's fantastic. I mean, you know, it's wonderful that these these uh, Catholic, um, what do you call, I guess you can say, writers who were able to meditate and find faith and meaning in, in, the, in these stories and help us to understand ourselves more. Why do we like these characters? It's great. But you need good writers. You need good writers that understand the character and can weave a good story. Comic book people, majority of them, you're going to always find that they're looking for characters that they that speak to their own their own virtues people want virtues they want characters that overcome per- obstacles that overcome these things i mean you know that's what people want that's why pa- captain america yeah patriotism love of country not necessarily always love of government i mean think about it most conservatives don't want big government liberals look to the government as the answer because that is their God on earth. But to someone who wants lesser government, they want the freedom to pursue their happiness and to pursue God that is greater than the government, that is greater than anything else. And virtues to fight against injustice. This is what it's all about. But other people turn it around. It's funny, a liberal always talks about injustice and corruption of government, but they always wind up creating a social government. It's very funny. It's funny how everybody runs around in circles but comes to to the same start. You know, it's really interesting. It's funny. (laughs) But anyway, I think it's great that we we did this, and I'm going to try to get back with another article. It's going to be more about Pope Francis. There's five articles I'm going to go through in crux magazine. So we're going to search that out soon. God bless and be well.